Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello, this is Rabbi Ethan Linden, and today our daf is Eruvin Lamed Dalid, page 34 of Eruvin. And as I promised yesterday, today I would like to talk a little bit about the position of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who's called just Rabbi in, uh, in our text, regarding the permissibility of certain things which are prohibited rabbinically but are then allowed during the brief period that the rabbis call Bain Hashmashot, which is translated often as twilight, but really is this kind of in-between period when Friday is ending but Shabbat has not yet begun. And as I mentioned yesterday, this issue comes up a couple of different times over the last couple of pages because the discussion of the Mishnah, which occurred on 32b, occasions the reference to this position of Rabbi Yehudah Nasi. And today, the topic is a, a boar, a cistern. The, the Mishnah on 32b says... Nitanoba uh, bor. If you put the eruv in a bor in a cistern, afilu amok mea ama eruvo eruv. If you put your eruv again, once again, as I've said several times over the last few days, the eruv that they're talking about here is the eruv tchumin, an eruv that allows you to travel a certain distance from the place where the Eruv is, if this food stuff, not where you actually are when Shabbat begins. It's a proxy location. And if you put this food stuff, this Eruv, in a cistern, even if that cistern is very, very deep, that Eruv is considered effective. That is to say, when Shabbat begins, your distance that you are allowed to travel is then calculated from the Eruv, which is in the cistern. And as we talked about yesterday, there's this debate over where this cistern could possibly be. That is, what is the point the Mishnah is trying to make here? And the Gemara asks this very question, where is this cistern? And the question comes up because if the cistern is considered to be in Rishut HaYachid, in a private domain, then it's not clear why the Mishnah would even have to say that the Eruv is effective. Of course it's effective. It doesn't matter how deep it is. It doesn't actually matter how tall it is. As we saw yesterday, if something's in the private domain, that domain is considered to extend above and below. So if the cistern was in a Rashut HaYachid, a private domain, and you put an Eruv down there, then it's no problem. You are in the same private domain that the Eruv is in. But if the cistern is in a public domain, there seems to be 
uh, a problem because if you place your foodstuff, your eruv, in the cistern, and then you would imagine that your Shabbat place, your your place that you're going to be considered to be, the abode that you are establishing for yourself, is in fact outside the cistern, right? On the on the edge of the cistern, then we have a problem because the Eruv, being as low as it is, is in a private domain, that is the cistern, but you are still your place that you've established for yourself is outside the cistern and it would seem to be the case that you would therefore be in two separate domains. You in the public domain where the cistern is situated and your Eruv down below in the cistern which is considered a private domain and that sort of Eruv as we've seen before is not effective. You can't have an Eruv of this sort in a place where if you if you were actually in the abode that you've situated yourself and you wanted to take the food stuff from where it is sitting to that abode it would be prohibited on Shabbat so your food stuff that's creating your Eruv can't be in a private domain a Rishut HaYachid while your abode is in a public domain a Rishut HaRabim because to move the Eruv to you on Shabbat would be prohibited by the rules of carrying. So the question the Gemara asks is, what is the Mishnah teaching here? If the cistern's in a private domain, it's obvious that the Eruv is effective. If the cistern is in a public domain, on the other hand, it's not clear why the Mishnah would rule that one is allowed to place the Eruv at the bottom of a cistern and make your abode, the place that you're actually going to calculate from, be on the edge of the bore, on the edge of the cistern. And the decision that they make is that, in fact, this is a situation. The Mishnah's discussion of the bore, of the cistern, is a situation where the bore is located in a Carmelite, which I'll come back to in a second, and the person wants to make his place, his spot, above, that is, on the edge of the cistern. So the Carmelite is a an area that is considered by the rabbis to be not exactly a public domain, a Rishut rabim, biblically speaking, but it's also not a private domain. It's its own sort of space. And rabbinically speaking, one is prohibited from carrying within a Carmelite or from a Carmelite to a private domain or from a Carmelite to a public domain. In other words, a Carmelite constitutes its own sort of domain, but only rabbinically. Biblically, a Carmelite is just not a Rashut HaRabim, maybe a Rashut HaYachid even. In other words, the rabbis established a domain that the Bible does not have and then made restrictions on that domain that the Bible does not require. And it is for this reason that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's position comes into play. Because if this cistern is located in a Carmelite and the person wants to put the Erev at the bottom of the cistern but make his place, his abode, the top, 
right? Which would be two separate places, two separate types of rishiyot, two separate types of areas. That would not be allowed on Shabbat. But Bein Hashmashot, in this twilight period between the end of Friday and the beginning of Shabbat, a day that is, a time of day that's not quite Shabbat, according to Rabbi Huda Hanasi, the rabbinic prohibitions of Shabbat are not yet in place. So when the person places his foodstuff at the bottom of the cistern in the Carmelite, and himself waits at the top of the Carmelite to make that his abode, that his space for Shabbat, at the moment of Bein HaShemashot, when Shabbat is about to come in, the Eruv becomes effective, even though once Shabbat actually starts, he will not be allowed, again, rabbinically, to take that foodstuff and move it into the Carmelite from the private space that is constituted by the bottom of the cistern. And so we have, very similar to what we had yesterday, with the question of using the tree or not, a situation wherein Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is ruling that though rabbinic prohibitions on Shabbat are effective on the time that is actually certainly Shabbat, they are not, in fact, effective in the period called Bein Hashmashot, the period when the biblical prohibitions of Shabbat come into force, but we know that it's not exactly fully Shabbat yet, so all of the rabbinic rules of the Sabbath have not yet begun to be effective. And this is a very interesting concept. And it gives the notion that the rabbis in their wisdom understood that there was a biblical Shabbat and a rabbinic Shabbat. And in fact... The rabbis very famously state in the Mishnah, in Chagiga, that the laws of Shabbat are like mountains hanging by a thread or a hair, for they have very little mikra, and they have much halakha. They have very little biblical source, but a lot of law. And you really see that play out in this position of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, because after all, Bein Hashmashot, this period prior to the onset of Shabbat, is also itself a rabbinic notion. When Shabbat begins, when Shabbat ends, these are rabbinic ideas. And the restrictions of Shabbat are also largely drawn from the rabbis themselves. And I think there's a sense in which they are aware of that fact. And you see here that what Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is saying is that while during Bein Hashmashot, biblical Shabbat has begun, in some sense, rabbinic Shabbat has not yet begun. And it's a fascinating thing to think about, a period of time when one aspect of Shabbat has started, the biblical aspect of Shabbat has already started, but the rabbinic aspect of Shabbat has yet to begin. And in that space, in that Bein Hashmashot, between the beginning of the Bible's Shabbat and the beginning of the rabbi's Shabbat, is all of the greatness of the rabbis, all of their interpretations, all of their extensions, all of the beauty of their tradition, exist in some way, in that moment of Bein Hashmashot, 
ready once Shabbat comes in to come into full effect. And indeed, our Shabbat is not Bain Hashmashot. Our Shabbat is not the biblical Shabbat. The 25 hours of Shabbat are a rabbinic Shabbat, a rabbinic creation, a day of rest and holiness that was a gift to us from our sages. And so as Bain Hashmashot ends and Shabbat begins, we leave behind the biblical Sabbath and we begin to celebrate and enjoy and call a delight the rabbinic Sabbath that has been given to us. Thank you very much. This is my last podcast for this series of Dapim. I hope you've enjoyed learning with me. I have certainly enjoyed speaking into the microphone and pretending that somebody is listening. And I hope to talk to you someday in the future. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.